guys, welcome back to Young and Successful. Today is episode three. It is, what is the day today? June 9th, Friday, June 9th. We're here in Idaho Falls. It is a cold day. It is. Um, it went from like 95 degrees yesterday to like 60 degrees today. So, uh, all right, guys, we have a really exciting episode today. Today, we're going to have on Carl Olinsalot. He is a YouTube star. He has a YouTube channel called Carl and Ginger. He's going to be talking to us about his story, where he came from. Jackson knows Carl on a personal level, so I'm going to let him kind of talk about him, give a little background on who Carl is, and we're going to have him on the show. So I think you guys are in for a real treat today. Yeah, I met Carl and his wife, Ginger, actually through my wife, Carly. Um, They are YouTubers. They run a whole range of channels. Um, They've got a family channel. They have channels for their children. They run all of those. Uh, Carl's story is very appealing because he started out, went to college, did social work, ran his own business, um, had multiple you know, failures, uh, but never gave up, built kind of an empire that he's got now. Uh, he's debt-free. Um, he's really good with finance, and so we think it will be applicable. If you are interested in running a YouTube channel, becoming an entrepreneur, um, starting into YouTube and going full-time, you will love this episode. Carl is a very humble individual, and I actually learned a lot while we interviewed him. So without further ado, here is Carl Olinsalot. Welcome, Carl Olinsalot, to the Young and Successful podcast. He is patching in via Skype. He is down in sunny St. George, Utah. I'm jealous because it's about 60 degrees here and kind of cloudy. It's a lot warmer down there. It's been really nice. It's been over over 100 degrees lately. I think this weekend's going to be a little bit cooler, but I can handle either one. It feels so amazing being down here. Yeah, that's Thanks great. Thanks for you having guys me on, a, you guys. Oh, no problem at all. Absolutely. I see the videos all the time on YouTube with your pool and all the fun stuff you guys do, so it looks like a good time. <laughs> yeah, we love it down here. So, Carl, if you wouldn't mind, could you just give us a little like background about who you are, what you do, um, just so people can kind of learn, learn more about you and who you are? Yeah, you bet. Uh, My name is Carl. Um, My family and I have uh, four different YouTube channels. Our primary one's called Carl and Ginger Family on YouTube. Uh, We are full-time YouTubers, so we upload to to the website as content creators on at least one of our channels every single day, seven days a week. Uh, I created my YouTube account clear back in July of 2006. before that, that I was a long time, a long time, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the early pioneering days when it was kind of like the, the wild west, there was yeah. no real rules back then. But, uh, yeah, before that I was actually a, a social worker, um, had a degree in social work and was doing counseling with kids, uh, and juveniles at a juvenile correction center. And I've done a bunch of other various jobs, but always, Wanted to do YouTube full time, and when we finally got on board as an entire family, we went for it full time and have been really successful at it. Perfect. Well, let's jump into that. So you—that's quite a transition from working with the youth to full time YouTuber. <clears throat> Tell us yeah. a little bit about your early life, where you grew up, what your family was like, what your parents did. Yeah, I—I uh, I grew up in a small town called Rexburg, Idaho, uh, and then we moved when I was like eight years old, uh, to a town called Sugar City where they grew sugar beets on sugar beet farms and, uh, went to high school there, graduated. Uh, my, my parents worked a lot of different jobs. They started out, uh, owning a small restaurant. It was very similar to like a subway before subway existed. So I kind of actually grew up in a restaurant running around as a kid. Uh, my dad retired as a, a custodian 
at the college there in Rexburg, BYU, Idaho. And my mom worked there as well. Uh, she made sandwiches at the at a sandwich shop at the college. So they were dual income family. Um, we never had a lot, but we had a lot of variety and encouragement. And and uh, yeah, so I mean, that's kind of how I grew up, just running around like a typical kid playing Dungeons right. and Dragons and <laughs> riding bikes and all kinds of stuff. Were your parents dead set on you going to college? Were, did they push education very hard or were they kind of more liberal in what they let you do? I think, I think a real key to my parents' success as parents was that they gave us a lot of options and choices and let us choose for ourselves and think for ourselves a lot. So I think more than like encouraging us to go to college, they provided really good opportunities. Like the whole reason that they... Um, worked at the college was because they realized they weren't going to be able to save up enough to pay for our education. But in working at the university, they had a program there where a portion of their income would go towards their kids' credits. So I actually was able to get the equivalent of like an associate's degree without having to get a loan or pay for that because my parents worked at the university. So they provided good opportunities to, to get us going. Um, but I was, I never, ever in my life felt pushed to do anything that I didn't want to do. Like I had the opportunity to serve a two year mission for my church, or I could go, uh, in the military or I could go to college and they, they were always just supportive of whatever I decided that I wanted to do. Great. So did you, you graduated high school and then did you go right into college or what happened after you graduated? I opted to do the two-year mission, uh, so I served a mission for the LDS Church in Arkansas for two years, and then after that came back and kind of started college slowly. I'm not sure what I wanted to do at the time, but while I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for school, I ended up getting a job at the Juvenile Correction Center and working there, and that kind of shifted my path to go into social work at the time. Where did you go to college? At BYU-Idaho. Okay. And so did you get your degree in social work? I did, yeah. I got a bachelor's degree in social work. So you started off your career as a social worker, right? Was that kind of, what made you want to do that? I I personally, I've actually worked with some troubled teens in the past as a job. Um, It was tough. I had a hard time with it. I didn't last very long. So I mean, I guess what interests you in in that profession? And was it something that you enjoyed doing? Uh... Man, I don't know if I was ever like super interested in it. It was just what I was doing and I was good at it. That's where my resume was all built. You know, like I had a lot of really good experience in the field. And so for me, uh, choosing to do that was because that's where I had a lot of experience, what I knew how to do. And I wanted to open my own business and be an entrepreneur at some point. And based on all of the work experience that I had, social work was the best avenue for me because It wasn't like a a degree where I would come out of college with just the diploma. You actually are a licensed social worker. So you can actually build a state and get paid your license to do something kind of like a doctor would be licensed in their field or a lawyer would pass the bar and be licensed to practice and things like that. So I wanted to get a degree that was also licensing me in something that not just somebody better qualified could walk in and do that. You actually have to have the degree to do it. And so that's why I went into that. But uh, right after I got my degree, like within six weeks, I actually opened my own children's mental health clinic in a small town called Rigby. 
And, and right when we opened it, they cut all of the funding for those programs. So we scraped by for like a year and then we ended up closing that down. Um, but I think the reason I went into social work was uh, just because it would provide more opportunities for me at the place I was working and it would give me the ability to open my own practice. And so that's why I went into that. But it was never going to be anything that financially was going to be successful. Social workers are not known for making a good living. And so I knew eventually I was going to have to make a change or, you know, have my own business revolved around that if I was ever going to achieve the goals that I wanted to financially in life. Just graduating from college and you opened up your own social work business, yeah. mental health clinic for children. Yes. How did you decide to branch out on your own and where did your desire to be an entrepreneur come from? Oh, honestly, it was part of it was just this innate feeling that I hate working for someone else. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, don't know. Uh, I, I just think the uh, I, I knew other people that were doing similar things that had their own businesses or had social work practices doing counseling and whatnot. And I always just felt like these guys aren't any they're not any smarter than I am. They're not any more capable than I am, but they're doing really well. They have a successful career and practice and they're respected and 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 I just felt like it was something that I was capable of doing and so working uh, you know working through the bureaucracy of a of a government agency like the you know the juvenile correction center was a great place to work but it was state controlled and state run and so it was you know I just wanted to have more of that freedom I think to to do what I wanted to and I was young and, and dumb and so I went for it and it, that's okay were you married at this point? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was married before I even started going back to school. So like right after, uh, about a year after I got back from Arkansas is when, when I met my wife and we got married. Yeah. Yep. Okay. For those that don't know, you can watch the videos. His wife is named Ginger. Great friends of my wife. They've known each other for a very long time. Was she working at this point? Uh, just on the side, uh, she has a degree in cosmetology, so she was cutting hair and stuff on the side once in a while. But uh, most of the time, you know, we, at that time, we just had young kids and babies and diapers. And so most of the time, she was just home while I was out doing it. Okay. There was a one, job in there itself. Was, there was one critical point there um, when I was trying to finish my degree where I was working full-time midnight shifts at the juvenile center. So I was working 40 hours a week, permanent midnight shifts for two years. And the last two years of my education, I was taking 24 credits a semester and working midnight shifts while we had three kids at home and the youngest is still in diapers. And so oh like gosh. I was, a, I was a wreck trying and, and trying to line everything up. So right when I graduated, we could open the practice, the children's mental health clinic. So that was like two years of, of defining moments for me trying to pull that off but but we did it and it worked out so so do you think all like putting in all that work it sounds like you i mean you just had your hands full during those couple yeah. years do you think that helped you to be the person you are today kind of learning to work i mean as hard as you did i think so and i think it also helped me think and, and work differently um i you know you kind of test your limits and realize what you're actually capable of uh, when you when you push that hard, when you're working full time midnight shifts, taking 24 credits, and and I you know I think I learned that when you really look at how many hours there are in a day, if you wrote down how many minutes of that day you're actually productive, I think you'd be shocked at how 
much how little you actually <laughs> right. get done in Absolutely. a given day. But when you make the decision to really be fully productive, how much you can get done is is insane. How much you can do in a day if we really knuckle down and do it. So I think I learned that, and then um, and just to kind of get over some fear of failures. You know, there was a lot of experiences with that mental health clinic and setting that up and and where uh, I just realized that, that it wasn't worth it living with anxiety and fear of failure. It's always better to sometimes take the educated chances, you know, measured risks, but not being afraid to take chances was something big that I learned. And um, it made going full-time on YouTube seem awesome and easy and way more fun after going through all of that. So what steps did you have to go through to open the mental health clinic? So you got your license, you graduated yeah. from college. How did you jump into that? I mean, tell us about the government funding, you know, the programs oh, was, that were set up. It was it was pretty crazy, actually. They have in, in Idaho, they have what they call IDAPA rules. And so there was just like hundreds of pages of state code and laws that I had to understand how to run the business so that I wouldn't get shut down and how to bill for to, to get paid for the treatment that we were providing, how to how to get the kids uh, diagnoses confirmed if there was a, a problem there. So we had to, first of all, I was just graduating with a bachelor's degree in social work. And so at the same time, we had to have somebody working for the agency, at least that had a master's degree. So by the time I graduated college, I had already hired one of my college professors to work for me oh, at cool. the business. So one of the, one of the heads of the program, as soon as I graduated, became an employee of mine as well. So he would actually come in and write the treatment plans and do the interviews uh, for the clients and the parents initially. Um, meanwhile, my brother was finishing his master's degree in social work. And so as soon as he was done, he was able to take that over. Um, there was a lot, you know, yeah, as far as the, the, the logistics of it and then getting all the office equipment with no money, like trying to, to we just took a lot of the stuff that we had at home and we moved it into the office and we made it work until we got through our first couple of billing cycles and we actually had money come in and then we were able to get more of what we needed. But a lot of it was just scrapping together whatever we could and asking for friends and family to help. And that was that was a lot of it. Kind so of at the peak financing. of your clinic, how many people did you have working for you? Uh, not very many. It was uh, me and my, my wife, uh, my brother and his wife, and then we had a sister-in-law. So it was all family at the okay. time. Uh, and then we had my uh, professor at the university who was also there, but he would just come and do the initial interviews and leave and, and whatnot. And then we had a, a doctor as well who had to come in and sign off on all of the treatment plans and everything that we, we just basically paid him as a side job to come in and do all of that. Uh, but that was pretty much it. The rest of it was all um, just us running it and carrying out the treatment plans. And, and we had to create an entire children's behavior modification treatment program. So, you know, you have like treatment modules that you do with kids. A lot of parents use them at home where like good behavior earns them a sticker or bad behavior, you're they, they lose a sticker or whatever. So we had to like create our own um, mental health treatment program. Uh, so we came up with that and developed it all. We got a bunch of feedback from other professionals and they loved it. Uh, and we've even used it at home with our kids and it, right. and it worked great, but we developed a whole program for how to, how to monitor and measure behavior of children and 
how to track all that. And we even did classes to teach parents how to do it at home and it worked really good. So I, I may be jumping ahead a little bit here, but you um, homeschool your children, is that right? Yes. So is it, your social work and your research in that field, is that what kind of led you to make that decision? You wanted to have... Um, my wife was homeschooled. So Ginger was homeschooled her whole life growing up. And uh, honestly, when we made the transition to go full-time on YouTube, it was just natural for us to do that, to have... It was all about the flexibility of our time and schedule and being able to film with the kids and do the school later in the day. Or, you know, as full-time YouTubers, we travel a lot. So we're always going to California or, or Nevada, and we've been to like Florida and New York and all over. And being able to take the kids with us is a big part of like what we wanted as a family, to be able to travel and go wherever we wanted. And so having that freedom, uh, a lot of that homeschool came into play and I don't think we would have done it earlier on but now the way the internet is and with education online it's so much easier to do homeschool from home with your kids uh, and and have them be self-driven that way and it's worked out awesome gotcha okay so you're working you're running your own business here and then you mentioned something about the government cutting funding how did the business yeah. come to an end yeah, six weeks uh, before we opened our doors, we got a letter in the mail. Uh, this is after we had our business licenses, everything was approved, and we got a letter in the mail from the state. And they were cutting the amount of money that we could make per hour off of each client that we had. And they cut it basically from like $20, well, it was like $25 an hour per kid down to like $9 an hour per kid. And so we basically just barely made ends meet and we did it for a year just to carry out the treatment plans of the kids that we had at the clinic. And as soon as like the last few kids either dropped out of the program or their parents pulled them out and it was a good transition time, we just kind of like wrapped it all up and, and uh, finished off the treatment plans that we had with the kids that were close to graduating. And then we just closed up and that was it. So you'll, it was only open for a year then the clinic. That's right. Okay. Yep. And so then after that, had you already started planning what your exit strategy would be or kind of what, what did you do after that? I sold four wheelers. Did you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, we, we moved to a new town and uh, I, I was like, I, I got a really awesome job. We moved over to Boise, Idaho, and I got a really awesome job over there working for the state. The money was even better. Uh, but the the amount of exposure at, at the job that I got, m meaning like liability wise, uh, was so huge. Um, it, it was a it was a really complicated position to be in, and I had just started the job, and I was absolutely miserable. I hated it. Every day that I woke up, I was like, I don't do not even want to go in there. I was just felt sick every morning, like trying to get there. And so my wife is awesome, and she was just like, if you hate it, just find something that you like to do. And I mean, and so I I quit that job and went and got a job selling jet skis and four wheelers and chainsaws and stuff. And I was, there we go. I, I loved it. And then I got into like doing sales and a couple of other sales jobs. And then, uh, yeah. So how did all of that transition into YouTube? Obviously you're full-time YouTube. Now your family does it. Um, you yeah, guys still have like you four upload, wheelers. Yeah. You, you upload <laughs> every have day. Four wheelers. Um, yeah. We upload all the time. So how did that transition in what you're doing now? So the whole time, so that whole timeline of events and everything that we were doing, even, uh, you know, from about 2009 on up, we were doing YouTube on the side. So we had started doing it a long time ago, even in the midst of all that social work stuff. Uh, we were just, 
part of it was like by the time I got done with that two years of midnight shifts and the and the schooling and everything, I had put on a lot of weight. I had gained like I was almost four hundred pounds at the time because uh, I was working the midnight shifts and I had a back injury and all this stuff. But we got a camera and decided um, that if we started what they call vlogging, where you record what you did each day and when you going out and doing things that it would encourage us to get out as a family more and do more things rather than just get home from work and sit down and watch TV and do nothing. We got a camera as kind of a vessel to get us outside and doing different things and going different places. And it actually worked really well. Uh, I used it a lot for me to kind of get over depression and just like the routine of life. I wanted to get out and do other things. And so we started filming it and uploading it to YouTube and coming up with fun ideas. Part of it was I joined a weight loss community early on to help me lose weight. And that was all through YouTube. I was uploading videos about weight loss and, and there was other friends I was making through YouTube that were doing the same thing. And then over years and years and years, we just got better and better at it. And we got the opportunity to get paid to upload to YouTube when we, we filled, actually filled out an application and submitted it because back in the old day, you had to like apply to get paid. Um, and the first time we applied for it, we actually got denied. So we had to wait three months and reapply. Um, and then we got partnered up with YouTube to where we could get paid uh, for our, the amount of views. And then it was just grinding it out. It was a matter of just sticking with it, getting better at it, learning how to get found and get views on our videos when we uploaded them. And it, it really just got to the point to where I, we set a goal where it was like, as soon as we're making twice as much on YouTube as I am at my full-time job, then I'll feel like there's enough breathing room to where even if the views and the money drops to half of what it is now, uh, we're still making as much as I am at work. And so as soon as we got to that point, which for me at the time was, uh, about $6,000 a month on YouTube, then it was like super hard to go to work every day. And I just wanted <laughs> to go for it full time. So that's when I kind of, uh, left my current job at the time and, uh, and we went for it and it worked. So how did you get introduced to vlogging and YouTube? Honestly, it was, um, uh, Shay Carl, your brother-in-law, Shay Carl. He, uh, he lived close to us is like an like an hour drive away and i stumbled across the video of his that was like i didn't even know who he was at the time but there was one video uh that he had uploaded called world's greatest dad and it was uploaded like on father's day and it was so funny because i was you know it was in the early days of youtube and i saw the video and i was like how did this guy get world's greatest dad like i thought <laughs> like <laughs> it was so dumb but I was literally like, who the heck did he like win some internet, like people magazine, like greatest. That dad. was the it title was total, of his video. That was the title of the video. <laughs> it was just like world's greatest dad. It was a father's day upload or something. And I clicked on it. I was like, that's bull crap. This guy's not the greatest dad in the world or something like that. But I watched it and I kept watching it. And then, um, at some point it clicked to me like that, that first night of kind of watching that, that's what this guy does for a living. Like, how's this possible? You know, and fast forward later, we ended up um, moving into the same neighborhood and same town. And because I was doing social work at the at the time, I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to go to church with the same in the same neighborhood as where I had clients. And so we drove across town to go to church, and we were in the same 
churches shake Carl, and so we actually made friends with them that way and got some got some help with YouTube from them and stuff and but that's where I really saw the potential because he here he was on this end of success and really successful with it and we were making nothing but the potential was there and I had friends that were doing it and so it just seemed possible so how I mean running a YouTube channel is difficult uh, you yeah. have to learn how to shoot video you have to learn how to edit the video you have to learn the back end of YouTube how yeah. did you learn that I mean I've seen your videos and the quality of your videos is very high you're good at editing the videos how did you learn that thank you well in the early days a lot of it was trial and error that when I very first started doing YouTube I actually borrowed editing software from my brother uh, I had a really crappy camera. I didn't have Photoshop. I was just, you know, taking screenshots and trying to make them into thumbnails and whatnot. A lot of it was just trial and error and experience and never stopping learning, like always trying to get better. Uh, fast forward to now, um, and we work with a good friend of mine uh, named Daryl Eves, who's like really, really good at all the the optimization side of YouTube and the back end, like as much as I know, he can dig in there and find things wrong and tell me how to, to make improvements. Now we have an, we have a, a full-time editor that edits for us all of our, our videos. Um, I, I did all the editing early on, um, but a lot of our success came from the fact that when, when my wife got on board and when Ginger started doing it, she just knuckled down and she learned how to edit. She learned how to graphic design and do Photoshop as well. And so she just, something that she didn't really, um, she hadn't done for all those years. Like I had been the, the lead person doing it all. She jumped in and just took it on and figured out how to do it. And so we kind of became one of those power couples that, where we helped each other out. So I would film something and she could help edit it. And then I could do the thumbnail and learn how to Photoshop. But you're right, you have to learn how to do it all. Like you have to be a graphic designer a videographer, you have to understand your cameras, the video editing side, you have to understand SEO or search engine optimization and keywords. You have to understand the YouTube algorithm and how it works, which is really confusing. And changing uh, all the time. And changing constantly. Uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a lot. So whenever you see like a full-time YouTuber that just seems like they wake up and goof around every day, the really successful ones have a whole team built around them. Like right now we have a manager, uh, an editor, we're getting ready to hire a production manager who might actually come uh, live here in the town and he's gonna like set up all of our video sets and props and he'll build stuff for us and take it down and clean up after we film. Uh, and the whole end goal here is we wanna end up like with our own film studio that we can just walk into and film whatever we want every day, like an actual physical space, but that's kind of the next step. But a lot of it was just, sticking with it and getting better and better and doing it every day until you just get good at it and and never being so arrogant that feeling like I know it all like oh I've got you know 800,000 subscribers I'm still willing to sit down with Daryl a uh, Daryl Eves or somebody else who's has better success than me and just be like man I I will try anything I will learn anything that you have to tell me and I will give it a try and be I'm not afraid to experiment and change things and uh, that's that's contributed a lot to it I kind of like what you said about the whole trial and error um, so I have my bachelor's degree in film so that's kind of how I grew up that's oh, cool. what I've learned my whole life but I still think even for me coming out of school and everything it took so much trial and error to get where I am now just doing it just getting out there seeing what works seeing what doesn't work seeing what people like to see 
Um, yeah. so, and I think that could be applied to almost anything you do. You just have to, you just have to get out there and do it and try it until you figure out what works. So I, I like that I, you did that. I totally agree. I think like when it comes to even like education, the most important part is when you do the hands-on internship, like when you're mm -hmm. actually out there doing it and people who learn like a trade skill where they get to do a, what do you call it? When you pair up with an expert and they mentor you, I can't think of the mentorship. word off the top. Yeah, there's an mentorship, oh, apprenticeship. Apprent an apprenticeship. Yeah. yeah, I honestly think that that's like uh, way better than anything else you could do. Like, for example, even when we opened the mental health clinic, just because even though I just had a bachelor's degree, I had way more experience. I had like five years of experience doing counseling with kids every day at the juvenile center. So it was I actually knew a ton about how to do it even more than people with like a master's degree or a doctorate's degree just because of the experience that I had. So for me, it's really valuable. Like a lot of times people ask me like, I want to start a YouTube channel, but I want to make sure it's perfect. And sometimes it's just like, just start, just start, right. like just start uploading and just start going for it. You're going to learn really fast what works and doesn't work, but you just got to get going. That, and you also have to kind of learn your own style. I mean, you have to right. be unique. You have to do it the way you do it and not just copy what others are doing. So yeah, by doing it and just getting out there and trying it all, you kind of develop right. your own style, your own image. So Right. And I think, you know, I think there is truth to that. I think you do have to be unique. Uh, but part of it is like, I don't know, like when it comes to YouTube, a lot of the stuff that we do is is not super unique, but we have a different twist on it. So yeah. like we'll do, we'll do a video that has has been done like a hundred other times by other YouTubers, but because we're the ones doing it and we have our own unique twist on it, uh, you, you make it your own. And if you're, if you've branded yourself right and your family, right, or however you're doing it, then it, then it works. You know, it's kind of the same thing, like in the restaurant industry, how many different restaurants are selling hamburgers, <laughs> but they all have their own different branding, their mm -hmm. own different kind of recipe. They're all hamburgers. But they're completely different take and different taste and, and ingredients just done a different way. And so I, I think there's truth to that. You do have to be original. But I think to, to a point, uh, depending on what your approach is, you don't have to be crazy original like nobody's yeah. ever done it before. You just have to have your own, your own unique twist on it and remember that like I'm the only one of me and you are the only one of you. And so if you turn a camera on, even if you do the same thing as somebody else... Because you're the one doing it, you're gonna have your own unique taste uh, take on it if you if you let yourself yeah okay. uh, express yourself and have fun with it. But Absolutely, yeah. yeah, I like that. Okay, so I want to put this in chronological order. Um, so, you, what year did you graduate college and open the mental health clinic? And then, you know, you did the move to Boise where you worked, started selling four wheelers. Somehow, yeah. you ended up in Pocatello. And then right. what year did you go full-time as a YouTuber? We uh, actually, after, a, a, let's see, we were back in St. Anthony, Idaho, just north of Rexburg and Sugar City there when we went full-time. Oh, okay. I had, I, we had moved as a family all the way to Maine to take a job opportunity over there uh, at, a, at a film studio. And it was another one of those failed things. Like I got there and the two owners had a big falling out and the company <laughs> closed up like a month after we moved there. <laughs> So we moved clear back across the country and came back home. And um, I was working for my brother-in-law who had a business at his house. And, and I was basically just running his Amazon store and selling socks and thermal underwear for him online. Okay. And 
and, and, but it was a big opportunity right then. It was like, if we're going to push to try and do this YouTube thing full time, then, then now's the time to do it. And that's kind of where we were when we made that, the transition was, um, was when I was doing that, I was working in a, in a warehouse at the time. What but, year was that? Uh, let's see. It was two years ago. Okay. So you've been full time on YouTube doing nothing else. Well, I guess social right. media included for two right. years now. Correct. Okay. And how many channels do you run? Uh, we have four right now that we're active on. Yeah. Four channels. Do you upload daily to all four of those channels? No, I would say we're like on our main channel, probably four to five uploads a week on, on the other channel called Kyle's toys and games. We upload to that one probably five days a week. And then the other ones, my kids, actually, we, we have them film, edit, Photoshop and produce their own channels. So really? my two oldest sons, yeah, they're uh, 13 and 11 years old and they do all of it. And we just kind of stand to the side and supervise, but they, we, we help them come up with an idea and we provide like the props and supplies, but then they actually had to use their own savings to buy their own laptop. They had to use their own savings to order their own camera. Uh, so they both have their own laptop and camera and their own headphones. And um, we we got them Photoshop and their editing software and that part of it. But most of it, the hard equipment that they could break, we made them buy out of their own budget. <laughs> Smart. <you know? laughs> so they uh, they t- so they have to take care of it and all that. But they've they've seen a little bit of success and it's doing really well. My one son uh, Luke has his own channel called Luke Fully Loaded. And he's killing it. Like he's on his own is getting more views than our other channel that really uh, we have for my other son. Yeah. So he's, uh, he's doing really good, but he's doing it all on his own. That's awesome. uh, Yeah. So I've got two questions for you. Um, a little bit off topic from YouTube. I'm a cryptocurrency geek and the episode that's coming out of the podcast before yours, I tell my story and we talk a little bit about cryptocurrency. And one time I was tweeting about Bitcoin or some other yeah. cryptocurrency and you tweeted back to me uh, and you said, remind me to tell you the story about when I moved my family across the country or something like that um, yeah. using profits from Bitcoin trading. Can you tell that story? Yeah. So if, if we go back, um, like before we moved to Maine across the country over there for that job, I had literally Bitcoin was really a kind of a new thing. And I had just heard about it. And honestly, just because I I was like doing YouTube on the side, curious about the internet and all that, I was like, I should learn what this is about. And I got like obsessed with it one weekend. And so I I figured out how to get like a Bitcoin wallet set up and I figured out how to get some money transferred into Bitcoin. It was mostly just like, I was just trying to figure it out. What year was this? Oh gosh. Um... I can't remember for the life of me. I think it was like 2010 or something oh, like that. Oh man! So this is right when Bitcoin it was just like was new, brand new. Yeah, okay. it was brand new. Like it was really like obscure and almost when I was doing it, I almost felt like is this legal? <laughs> I'm not even sure if this is legal. So I got like another <laughs> question there. How did you buy the Bitcoin that early? I started buying Bitcoin in 2012, and it was tough. It was really hard. Uh, I actually, they wouldn't let me put the money in the Bitcoin wallet right out of my, my bank account. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't even set up to do that. So I actually like, had to go to Walmart and put money on a Visa <laughs> cash card 
and then go home and type that in to transfer it off the Visa cash card from Walmart. It was like stupid. I don't even know why I did it. I didn't buy anything with the money or anything. Like I just wanted to learn how it worked and I was curious. And so gotcha. I, I put like, I think $200 in there, which back then bought a decent amount of Bitcoin, but now doesn't, that wouldn't buy you anything like 0.001 Bitcoin <laughs> or something now, yeah. but yeah so that's uh what i did and I, so i bought the like 200 dollars worth of bitcoin and i learned how to do it once i figured it out and i was like cool like i had no clue that it was going to get traded like a currency or, or that all of that um but anyway fast forward to later when uh we were in maine and that job failed that business fell apart i was like how are we going to come up with the money to move back home um because if we're going to move we got to get going you know anyway so it popped in my mind that first night when we were thinking about how we were going to get back home to check that Bitcoin account. Cause I was like, I wonder if there's any money in that. Cause I had just seen a post that Bitcoin was taking off and all this stuff. So I looked it up and sure enough, the, the Bitcoin, the $200 that I put in there was worth like $2,500 or something like that at the time. So I was able to transfer that money back out and move my family back home across the country. That's cool. All off of that lucky Bitcoin trade, just messing around. But now now I buy and sell Bitcoin just off of my phone using the Coinbase app and just gotcha. do it looking at the charts and basic info. I just do it for fun now on the side and uh, it's doing good. Yeah, it's doing phenomenal. I'm showing a price of 2,817 right now, so. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. Well, Coinbase will be higher. I'm looking at Polo. Jackson has a oh, pull okay. up in the background right now. <laughs> You've got He's always watching it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it is doing good. Okay, so that's going to lead me into my next question when we're on top on the topic of money. Um, you tweeted out a couple days ago something that I thought was awesome. Um, I think it was a tweet late at night, and you said, my kids are in bed, I'm at my house, I've got a pool and a hot tub, and no debt. Yeah. And I read that, and I thought, that's awesome. Good for him. Um, a lot of people don't care about paying off their debt. A lot of people don't worry about, you know, being financially sound. How did you make the decision to be aggressive in paying down debt? And how did you become such a conservative person with finance? Honestly, there was a there was a moment there back right before our YouTube really took off and was successful. Uh, if I have to go back to that moment, um, we were on food stamps and we were on Medicaid. We were dirt poor at the time. YouTube just started to show a little bit of a glimmer of hope there. And uh, my wife and I sat down one night and we were both like crying and feeling desperate. And we're like, we're just gonna take a chance here. And we actually, there was still money on the food stamps card and everything. And we pulled them out and we, we cut them up and we just um, threw them in the trash and we said, we're going to make it. We're going to, we're going to set our goals really high and be super ambitious and we're going to make it. And that was kind of the turning point when we, you know, they have that saying, like you burn your ships behind you, you know, mm -hmm. when you're going to war and you don't have any other option, but success. That's what it, that kind of that moment was for us. I think where we decided we weren't going to rely upon anybody else anymore and we were going to do it. And part of our goals that night was that we were going to pay off our debt because we had student loans, we had a mortgage, we had vehicle debt, credit card debt. And that was the first thing, like if we wanted to define how we felt truly free as a human and as a family, it was to not owe anybody anything, to not owe any money. Um, and you know, when we, 
made that decision, it was a big uphill battle to get where we were at, where we paid everything off. But uh, part of it, the decision, we actually had to go against what our what our accountants were advising us because they they wanted to use that debt for deductions. You know, they wanted to be able to claim that debt. And we had big arguments with them on the phone. We had a whole team of accountants and they were telling us, don't pay off your student loans yet. Don't do this. And we did not listen to them. We may be paid a little bit more taxes, but for us, that emotional freedom and financial freedom to have all of our debt paid off was a huge deal to us. We had like $60,000 in student loans that had accumulated over over time. Because um, I, at one point, went was going to go back and uh, get a master's degree and then I decided not to and it accumulated more that way and my wife had some. But yeah, it was just a big decision. That was a goal that we had set as a couple and uh, to have no unsecured debt. And so, yeah, we as soon as we had earned the money, uh, we, uh, we just made some huge payments and paid everything off. And then we sold the one house that we had still. And uh, just like a couple of months ago, or just like a month ago, actually sold that thing. And now we're completely debt-free. So after you guys made that decision to become debt-free, how long did it take you to actually become debt-free? Um, two years. Two years? Yep. That's right awesome. About two, right about two years, yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, well, we've really kind of gone over your story. Um, our podcast is really aimed towards younger people that are trying to find some level of success, whether it's owning a business or in a career. What advice would you have or would you give to the young people that are listening to this? I would, I would say that you have to keep your options open. Um, for example, like what I, where I found the most success in life being a full-time YouTuber and uploading to YouTube all the, every day, um, YouTube didn't even exist until I was already married and had two kids. And so when you're, when you're young, when you're like in junior high or high school, unless you know and you're super passionate about exactly what you want to do and how that path is lined out for you, keep your options open and your opportunities open uh, to be able to make changes. What I went into and what I got a degree in college in was not something that I felt completely tied down to like that was my purpose in life. Mm -hmm. um, I was willing to change, willing to take chances. Uh, and you're, there is no other way around it, but you're going to have to put in the time and the effort. Uh, it doesn't matter how easy it seems, how fast the money might seem like it can come in. You have to put in a lot of effort and a lot of work and never stop learning. I mean, that's like, that's a huge loaded question. I don't know. <laughs> right, that's yeah. kind of what I, uh, but also, you know, take personal ownership over your own success. If you're waiting for other people to bail you out or to give you those opportunities, they're just not going to come. Uh, you have to kick down a lot of doors, sometimes break some rules and do things a different way in order to get where you really want to go. And it's not going to happen by listening to everybody around you. And I hate to say this, and this sounds bad, but a lot of people grow up listening to mom and dad, but are mom and dad really super successful or not? Are they really good right. with money or not? You've got to look at that and decide what you want for yourself. And you've got to not always just take the advice from, from the naysayers or people that, uh, 
just want you to live your life a particular way to make them proud, sometimes you have to, to break the mold and, and do what's really working for you and what you love to do. I do have one question. Um, yeah. So when you started doing YouTube full-time, I'm sure there were a lot of people that doubted you. I mean, it sounded like your wife was on board, but I'm guessing like maybe like your parents or, you know, immediate family probably were wondering yeah. what you were doing. Yeah. How did you not let that affect you? And kind of, I mean, for me, it's hard when someone's like, oh, you're an idiot. What are you doing? That, that's never yeah. going to work out. So how did you keep pushing through that? So at one point, this is kind of a funny story. At one point, uh, Ginger's grandma, she's passed away now. But at one point, Ginger's grandma actually pulled her aside one time and told her that we needed to stop because we were embarrassing the family name. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I love her to death. Like if you, if you met her and knew her, like it was, to, it was just hilarious that yeah. she would say that, but she was dead serious, but yeah, we were embarrassing the family. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, how I overcame it was, was because I, I knew better. I, I knew better. I had friends that were, the most successful people I've ever met that were doing it really good friends that had uh, really high levels of success were, were doing it full time. I, um, I surrounded myself with the people and I associated my, myself with the people that were doing it, that were doing what I wanted to do the way that I wanted to do it. And when I, I think that's another big factor, you hear a lot of successful people say that, that you become the average of the five people you hang out with the most. You're, you're the average of those five people. And so I just made sure I was friends with the, the best people that I could be around that were doing what I wanted to do. And so I knew better. So everybody that thought it was stupid or that it was never going to happen, the naysayers, the doubters, um, they didn't understand that it was possible. And, and they didn't understand how connected I was at the time. And it was just that I knew it was just a matter of time and, and effort and continuing yeah. to get better. Absolutely. And look where you are today. Yeah. You proved them all yeah. wrong. <laughs> How many subscribers totally. do you guys have now on your channel? Um, let's see. I've got to open on the on our main channel, 822,000. That's awesome. So 822,000 on that one. On the other one, uh, Kyle's Toys and Games. We've got, let's see, I'm pulling it up here. 723,000. So we have a few channels that are all doing really well. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I've got another question. Um, you started off vlogging, and then the style of your channel, you still vlog a lot, but you do these really fun kind of challenge yeah. videos. How do you come up with the, the ideas or what content you want to make? It's completely keyword driven. That's the big secret nobody wants to admit is they all want to claim that they're super creative and they come up with all these ideas on their own, but it's totally based on the trends and understanding what those trends are and the data. So like if something emerges as a popular trend or keyword, um, I will find a way to come up with a creative video around that. If it has to do with like giant balloons, then we're going to do a bunch of giant balloon videos and I'm going to do some crazy stuff with giant balloons. In fact, okay. I'm going to today. <laughs> I have a, I have a 20 foot weather balloon. I'm going to go do some fun <laughs> stuff with today out in the backyard. But yeah. Um, so a lot of it is really just based on what I know is going to work. I hardly ever upload a video that I think, uh, is like a, a gamble or is completely out there in the dark. And I don't know if it's going to work or not. I know exactly what, 
is trending and I know exactly what keywords are going to work in the title and the description and the tags of that video. And I even know how I need to say things in the video because when we pay for it to get closed captioned, I know that the words that are coming out of our mouth affect the metadata of the video and the algorithm. So even like it's better to say, in, instead of being like, oh, look, we got this big balloon, it's better to say, look at this giant inflatable balloon and to say, say the words in the right order to get the long tail phrases. And so sometimes if you watch our videos for people that are picking up on it, sometimes there's moments there where I'm like, look at this giant gummy Pokemon Pikachu. And it sounds like really <laughs> weird, but it's because I'm trying to hit the keywords for the closed okay. captioning. So there's a lot of thought that goes into it before we even hit the record button. There's a lot of planning and understanding what's going to work. And sometimes it still doesn't work, but uh, it's all a, a learning process and experimenting and playing off of what does work and what doesn't. It just looks like from, there. from the videos that your kids absolutely love what you guys do. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize there was this back-end strategy. Um, that's yeah. very appealing to technical people, um, cryptocurrency traders. Right. What part of YouTube, whether it's the trends and tracking that or the creation, what part are you drawn to and what part do you like the most? I like doing the graphic design. For me, the part that I that I love doing the most is the thumbnails. When I when I get the picture and I do the graphic design work, um, you're taking an idea that's just like a, a basic picture that that might be OK and you're really just making it very clickable and appealing first impression, especially for our target demographic, which is younger kids. Um, a lot of them don't take the time to read the title or even care what words are on there. And some of them can't even read. And so a lot of getting those views and the clicks comes down to making sure that your thumbnail images, those little preview images of what your video is about, that those are really well done. And I think that's a huge part of it. Uh, that part and Honestly, the, the other part that I just really love is when we bump into fans, when we bump into people or we go to these conventions for YouTubers and we get to meet uh, the people in person that actually watch our videos. And that's hugely satisfying. I had one experience uh, where I was in California at a YouTube convention and I was, um, I was at this private party, a VIP party uh, that you had to have a, you had to be on the list to get in. And this grown man, he like snuck past security because he saw me back at this party. Uh, he snuck past security and went under the chains and like came back in there. And he was like, oh, are you Carl? And I was like, yeah, I'm Carl. And he's like, and he started bawling. He was, he was started crying like profusely. And uh, he, uh, he said, man, I've been watching your videos and uh, watching them with my kids. And he said, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but... When I was watching your videos, I realized what a horrible father I was to my kids and how bad of a dad I was. And he said that watching our videos made him want to do more fun stuff with his kids and with his wife. And so he started playing more games with them and going outside. And he just said that uh, he was like he was crying and hugging me and telling me how much of an impact our videos made. That's my favorite part is when gotcha. you, you run into some kids that just... Uh, we get emails a lot too. Uh, we get emails from kids who are stuck in the hospital with leukemia or 
are in a, in a family from a, a broken home or with abusive parents and whatnot. And we'll get emails from kids that describe it like our videos are like a window to the outside world for them and kind of give them a taste of like the type of life and family that they want to have when they grow up. And so it gives them hope. And that's my favorite part. That's the most rewarding part of it. It almost sounds like it's kind of gone full circle. You started off wanting to help children and yeah. individuals, and that's what you're accomplishing through your YouTube channel. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. So just kind of to wrap things up a little bit, where do you see you, yourself in the future? I mean, YouTube might not be around forever. So do you kind of have a plan going forward of what you guys are going to do? Are you just kind of rolling with it and just, you know, kind of what, what are your plans, I guess? Well, we're right now, since we, we had a whole plan lined out, uh, first step was to get out of debt completely. And then we need to, our next step is that, uh, we're, we're renting the house that we're in right now, leasing it. That's what we did just to get where we are down here in St. George. Um, so the next step for us is to, to buy our own place and to pay that off, uh, to get a, a studio either there on the property built or uh, in town somewhere that we can upscale our production and be more professional and surround ourselves with a team uh, to, make, to increase our production volume and quality and all that stuff. Long term, uh, the goal is to diversify. Uh, we want to diversify with online investments, local real estate investments, rental properties, uh, the whole goal for us where I would really like to be is to have the option to do YouTube or not like five years from now. I have like a kind of a five year, if it's going really well and I'm still really enjoying it, I'm going to keep doing it for as long as everybody likes to watch. Um, but in my mind, I have like five years in my head um, to be set up financially and with real estate investments and rental properties and or other business investments to where I can sit back and rely upon that and stop uploading if I want to five years from now. Or I can take on more of like a managerial role and just kind of manage my kids' YouTube channels or careers or whatever they're doing um, and maybe stop being in front of the camera so much. But like I said, if things are going well and I'm still having fun with it, five years from now or longer, I'll probably still be doing it. Absolutely. So it sounds like you, you, you guys invest a lot of time into your videos. I mean, you're doing a lot of research. Um, right. You're editing, you're creating the thumbnails. I mean, there's a lot of time and effort that's put into these videos. How, I mean, how much time are you putting into the videos on, on average per day? Honestly, now that we have more of a team surrounding us, uh, a lot less, we're, we're more, uh, once we get done filming the video, I send it off to the editor and then she edits it and sends it back and then we do the uploading. But, uh, you know, there's there are still days where man, we'll put in 14, 15 hours into it in a day from the minute that we wake up until we go to bed. When, Especially when we have like a sponsorship where there's like a product placement or something that's really critical with the timeline. Or if we just have like Saturday mornings or like our big upload day where we try to upload on every single channel all that, that same morning. And so leading up to that, like Thursdays and Fridays are usually really packed busy days um, unless we get ahead of ourselves. Part of how we, we get organized and we do it is sometimes we'll film multiple videos for the same channel in one day. So we'll go out in the backyard and film a video and then we'll change our clothes and go out and film another one so it looks like it's a different day, but it's not. <laughs> right. And then we'll, then we'll clean up, change clothes, and then go in the kitchen and film another video and we'll hit like three or four videos all in one day to try and get ahead. But uh, that's hard to do when you're following the trends as closely as we try to. 
Absolutely. Well, Carl, I really appreciate it. I think you've got a fantastic story. Um, do you want to mention your Instagram and your Twitter in case people have questions for you? You know, Instagram is uh, just Carl and Ginger. Uh, my Twitter is Carl Vlogs. So Carl V-L-O-G-S. Um, but yeah, I mean, the YouTube channel is called Carl and Ginger Family. And go check it out if you want. If you got kids, it's all family friendly and, and clean and safe for people. And we have a lot of adults that watch too that, that get a kick out of it. So Awesome. Well, we'll leave uh, links to all your channels um, so everyone can go check them out. And thank you once again for being on the show. We really appreciate it. You have an awesome story. And I think there's a lot that we can take from this. You bet. Thanks very much. And good luck with this new podcast. I hope it works out for you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Carl. Okay, well, that was an amazing episode. I think I learned a lot. I, a lot of that stuff I didn't even know about Carl. Um, his story is incredible. Graduated college, become an entrepreneur, um, failed, picked himself up, moved across the country, failed again, went on food stamps, and now he's debt-free, building an empire, runs successful YouTube channels, has an amazing family. Um, I think everybody can learn something from that. And uh, what I took from that was don't give up, be flexible. I think that that was a really crucial part, being flexible. Um, anybody that's successful has gone in many different directions and eventually it goes full circle. He has job satisfaction. He started out in social work wanting to help children and families and that's exactly what he's doing on YouTube. So making that connection was powerful to me. Yeah. I, one thing that really stuck out to me in this episode was the fact that he has failed several times. Yeah. I mean, you look at these stars, you look at these people that you look up to, and a lot of times you think, okay, they don't fail. It's whatever they touch turns to gold. And you don't realize that a lot of people do fail. They have to fail to get to where they are. So, I mean, for me, that was enlightening. I think it showed that he had a lot of passion, a lot of drive, and he just kept going even when he failed. I mean, he, he almost failed before his business even started. He said he got that letter, you know, <laughs> right. six weeks or whatever before he started his business saying like, we're cutting your pay, all of this. He still stuck through. Um, he just kept bouncing around till he found what he wanted to do. And I think for a lot of people out there, they just give up after they fail their first time. You just got to keep pushing through. Um, sometimes things just aren't meant to be. Sometimes they just don't work out. But use those as a lesson to continue and to build and to really find that one thing that will take off. And for him, it happened to be YouTube. Yeah, and I loved his honesty with YouTube. I asked him, you know, how do you come up with these ideas? And he said, it's something that people don't want to admit but it's keyword searching and it's trend following. And I thought that that was very admirable. Yeah. Um, you know, he found a niche and he's kind of milking it and taking advantage of that. And, and it's great. Um, he's producing content that people love. His subscriber count is jumping. Um, and he gave a lot of applicable advice that's actionable that people can replicate. And I think that people can be successful by listening to what he says. So it, there was a lot more at play than I thought originally with his YouTube channel and the content that they create. Um, but it's inspiring and it's helpful. And um, really a lot of work goes into it. You know, it's not easy doing what Carl does. And he showed that he's built a team. I mean, he employs a lot of people, yeah. um, full-time jobs for a lot of people. So it's great. Yeah, definitely a very inspiring individual. Um, like Jackson said, I just couldn't believe how much work he puts into it. I mean, they're doing all this research before they actually, you know, launch their video. They're, there's just so much time and effort that's put into every single video that people don't see. When you watch that video, 
You probably right. don't. It's like, hey, that took them five minutes to do. They uploaded it and now they're making all sorts of money. There's so much more to it. There's so many things behind the scenes that you are not seeing. So just remember that. I mean, it takes a lot of hard work. And for those of you who are looking to start your own YouTube channel or maybe you're looking to start your own mental health business, whatever it is, there's a lot of time and effort that needs to be put into it. You need to be doing a lot of research. You need to be spending an adequate amount of time to really grow and to really make that business grow um, with it. So spend the time work hard don't be afraid of failure keep pushing through i mean I, I thought today's episode was awesome yeah it makes me want to work harder uh, and i thought i worked pretty hard yeah you know? so anyways thanks for listening everybody we appreciate it and we will see you next week with episode number four i'm very excited for this one because it's one of my good friends